Amazon. Thank you. But I feel like it's like a maternity sweater. Like it's very big at the bottom. I think wide sweaters are in though now, but it's too wide. You think? Yes, Mm. I think it's too wide. So Casey always makes fun of me because when I go to Target, I look for sweaters in the men's section Uh because they're cut like a human body. Right. And the sweaters in the women's section, Mm -hmm. they got the balloon arms. They got this going on. Like puffy. They got really high shoulders and like... They don't fit me very well. It's like, I need a sweater that's cut like a woman's t-shirt, like the V-cut. Yes. Like, just make it fit me. Just make it fit. That's and all I need. unfortunately, yeah, I can only find those kinds of sweaters in the men's section. Mm. And also, the men's sweaters are a little more, like, clean. Right. You know, like, they're simple. They don't have, like, you know, guitars on them or something. Or maybe <laughs> they do, and I just don't know it. Right. Um, not right. that there's a Sometimes they have, like, T-Rexes. Um, <laughs> the Christmas sweaters. They're just bananas. But, yeah. So, if you haven't figure it out go and um yeah check out the men's section for sweaters at target because they are lovely um but we're not here to talk about sweaters no we're here to talk about her story on the rocks with katie and Allie. this is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history we talk about good women and bad women fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance but keep in mind we are drinking the entire time and we are not historians absolutely not <laughs> no i felt woefully ignorant this week really just, like, and i mean mine's a present day person like she's still alive oh. i just there's i just you i should watch the news more <laughs> that's what i think i need to like stop reading all my fantasy fiction and like actually care about the world you know what's funny is i felt really out of depth this week too because i'm doing an artist mm-hmm. and like I really like her work, but I don't know how to describe it, uh-huh. you know? And uh-huh. I was having a hard time with it. And I was like, I feel like I sound like an idiot. Yeah, like, you know? what are the vocab words that go with this? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, Charles Vincent would know exactly what I'm mm-hmm. talking about, but I yeah. will not. Um, but anyways. You're busy, and you're looking up all the uh, election results. Oh, you are. Uh, especially if you're in Georgia, like you can't look at your phone because you're literally biting your nails right. because you're like, what's going on? It's crazy. Um, <laughs> so you're doing that. Your hands are busy. They're in your mouth. Get them out of your mouth. Yeah, that's bad. Um, but you can't Google what these women look like. Mm-hmm. So we're going to describe them for you. We're going to get a little physical, physical. Ellie, who are you doing and what does she look like? I am doing Queen Letizia and she has collarbone length, straight, shiny brown hair. She has deep brown eyes that she rims on the top and bottom with black eyeliner. Um, Letizia is tall and very, very thin with muscular arms. The best description I think of her would be statuesque. Um, Her style is pretty much identical to Kate Middleton and although she is older, she appears to have defied all aging okay so queen letizia exciting <laughs> who are you doing and what does she look like so i am doing anna mendieta uh anna was a tiny but fierce cuban woman she was just under five feet tall uh she had a very slender petite build she had light brown skin full lips and these big expressive brown eyes She had long, wavy brown hair and was undeniably beautiful. She dresses in very simple clothing, you know, never anything too flashy. Uh, But the most common pictures of her are when she is actually naked, Um, but typically covered in something, whether it be mud, flowers, or animal blood. And that is what... (laughs) 
on him, India. It looks like. Yes. I like that. Animal blood. Okay. She's getting gutsy. Yes. Uh, so we've got two like relatively unknowns this week. Yeah. I'm excited. I have no idea who you person. I know. I mean, it's fun when it's like, obviously I love doing bangers, but you kind of know what to expect. Yeah. I think this is a little bit of fun because like the, just the two of us is more interesting. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I guess we'll see. So what do you know about Queen Letizia? <laughs> Nothing. I thought that it was like a Queen Lilia Kalani situation uh-huh. when I saw her name. I was like, maybe she's like an old queen that was ousted. I have no cons. I didn't know. I was shocked when you said she was present day. Yeah. Because I don't day. know if it's too many monarchies yeah. that are left. So where is she from? She's Singapore? from Spain. Spain. Okay. Wow. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm like, yeah. So it'll be fun. Okay, cool. So do you want to know what you're drinking? Yes. It looks delightful. Okay. This is called Haters Gonna Hate. <laughs> and I, it's a mix of two very traditional Spanish drinks, which, or that they drink in Spain a lot, a mm-hmm. gin and tonic and a sangria. Ooh. So it's a little of both. So you've got the basic gin and tonic ingredients, gin, tonic water, lime juice Mm -hmm. but then i added raspberries thyme and white wine (gasps) so that it is kind of both things cheers Cheers. Mm. Mm. i like it it's like a sweet gin and tonic Mm -hmm. i can't taste a lot of the wine Mm -mm. i can't taste it but it kind of i don't know it adds something to like the experience of it. I don't it's know. the exact same amount that. of gin and white wine. Interesting. They're one-to-one in there. Yeah. It's weird. Hmm. It's interesting. Yeah, I wouldn't... If you had not told me what was in it, I wouldn't have told you white wine. Because mm-hmm. it also looks completely clear. Yeah. You know, I probably would have said, like, I don't even know. Yeah. I like it's it. It's an interesting drink. I like it a lot. Okay. So are you ready to learn? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm really ready. <laughs> So there are many kinds of royalty that have graced the world. There are czars and pharaohs and empresses and even socialites that have risen to royalty. But no other royalty really says royalty, at least to me, like European kings and queens. Absolutely. You know, medieval King Arthur bullshit. Like, I need it. So specifically, that majesty falls upon Great Britain. But today we're going to talk about the lesser known yet older Kate Middleton, <laughs> Queen Letizia. Well, it's so funny too, because we just did Queen Margaret. Mm-hmm. So it kind of feels like we're doing the other royals. The other royals. <laughs> the other, other girls. Yeah. The queens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So Letizia was born on September 15th, 1972. Like she's not that much older than us. She's wow. 50 this year mm. in Northwestern Spain. She is the oldest daughter of Jesus Jose Ortiz Alvarez, who is a working man, like in the news industry, aspiring journalist. And his first wife, Maria, who was a registered nurse at a hospital. Hmm. Letizia had two younger sisters, Telma and Erica. Not only were her parents working class, but... Her grandparents are working class. She just has an entirely normal upbringing with grade school and middle school. And just her family was blue collar, working every day to make ends meet. You know, that is just the life she's in. 
In terms of her ethnic background, genealogists have said that she has French, Spanish, and Filipino in her blood. And um, some genealogists have connected her family to some medieval nobility. But they're doing that to make themselves feel better. Okay. (laughs) You know what this reminds me of? What? I have a crazy person that lives in my neighborhood. Okay. His name is Dave. Hey, Dave. And he told me recently, because he traps you if he finds you outside, oh, and he shit. will not stop talking to you. Oh, I hate you. that, especially when you're in a rush. And he goes, never do that ancestry thing, like, while I've said for the fifth time that I have to leave. Right. And I was like, no, I haven't. And he goes, you know, I did it. He goes, turns out I'm related to Adam Sandler, Ben Affleck, Elvis. <laughs> The prince of Queen Elizabeth's husband, Prince Char- Philip, prince Charles, Prince Philip, <laughs> Philip is her husband. Yes, Philip yeah. is her husband. He goes Prince Philip and some other royalty of France and England. I was like, wow. So does Adam Sandler know that he's related to all of these very famous people through you, Dave? <laughs> like, how convenient for you? It's right. Like, it's like the whole reincarnation thing where you're like, I think I was Joan of Arc in a past life. It's like okay, it's sure. like of course, no yeah. one ever is like. I think I was a regular peasant in a past yeah, life. Yeah, like yeah. I think I like worked in the fields, <laughs> in the rice fields. I'm done. That's but yeah, who I was. That's my spiel about that. It's just so people are trying to connect her to royalty because she's currently royalty. And like, you don't have to do that. You don't have to you do that. It's ridiculous. Stop it. Stop. Just be who you are. <laughs> like any normal Gen Xer, even in Spain, her parents were divorced. <laughs> eventually and her father remarried later in life to another journalist named anna um now we know that this story ends with this very Mm -hmm. common girl becoming a queen but she is a normal person all along the way making a lot of normal mistakes one of the first of which is not her fault she is stunning she is stunningly beautiful and she is 16 years old And in high school, she caught the attention of her 25-year-old literature teacher. And they develop a secret relationship that goes on for a very long time. This is advantage of power structure. Yeah. Like, it's just terrible. Like, teachers should not be taking advantage of children. No. Absolutely not. And it's like, even she is a willing participant, but she's 16 years old. Yeah. That's so young. Yeah. And he's 25. Like you should not be looking to date any of your students. After high school, she sets her sights on becoming a journalist herself. So Letizia attends college near Madrid, where she completed her bachelor's degree in journalism. And then she went on to get her master's degree in audio journalism. This is really interesting because we don't associate higher education with royalty because of the tutoring structure that they have in place. Somebody comes to your house, they tutor you, and then you have limited time for graduate work because you're so busy in your adulthood. Mm-hmm. Um. So on paper, her intellect is much higher than most of the past and present royals because she has a bachelor's, a master's, and begins work on a PhD. Amazing. She's no joke either because the university she attended for grad school spit out seven Nobel Prize winners. Oh my Seven God. out of this one university near Madrid. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. Now also it is a university in like the white part of Europe where like a lot of the early Nobel prize winners probably lived, but mm-hmm. still. Okay. After her master's, she hits the ground running. She's traveling the world. She's reporting for newspapers, all article based at this time. Okay. She's writing, writing, writing. She's 
during college already worked on the Spanish daily newspapers. So now she can kind of go out and about. Also, I just want to say I really respect people that have a job while they're in college. I remember having friends, but producer, because he went to a really ritzy private college, all of them were like, you work? Mm-hmm. Like, it's absurd. Yeah. I can't believe it that people don't have jobs during college. I actually think that it helped me get through it mm. because – I had a full-time job. I'm working like 40 hours a week and I have full-time full school schedule. Yeah. And so the time that I had to study was the only time I couldn't choose to do anything else. Right. So I think just eliminating that choice actually helped me because if I didn't do it right when I had the moment, I would not do it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think it gives your, I don't know. I think it's also good to have something to do that's not school for eight hours Mm -hmm. a day you know or whatever 40 hours a week so I don't know I think it's important to work while you're in school I do too I would say that the only exception is if you're on like a d1 sports team and you have two a day practices like that's insane that's that's another job that is a job that you're not getting paid for exactly so that's a little different but yeah having those other responsibilities are so important Mm -hmm. okay so She goes off to work in Mexico after her master's, where she works at a newspaper in Central America and is working towards her PhD. She did not, however, complete her dissertation because she eventually just comes back to Spain. But again, she is a young, normal, working woman and is super beautiful. So while she's in Mexico, she just like off the cuff poses for some topless pictures, which is not going to be a problem if you're a normal person. Right. But as we all know, remember when Kate Middleton did that like runway Mm -hmm. thing, like before she was the queen, like Mm -hmm. those pictures were everywhere or before she, whatever she is now, the soon to be consort princess of Wales or whatever. She like, it is a big deal. Like now that she is somebody that those pictures exist, she goes home to Spain, um, And she starts working for televised news. So she's working for the Spanish economics channel for a little bit and then she finally lands a job on cnn plus which is a 24 hour a day news station where she works for almost a decade before she gets her even bigger break in the 2000s she gets asked to anchor the weekly news report program in spain later she got the daily morning news and finally is promoted to anchor the evening news that's katie couric level that's so cool i also can't believe that she isn't even queen like i can't believe this ends with her being queen i know i know like if you hadn't said queen leticia i would be like wow okay cool so she's like the katie kirk of spain this is excellent like great what an what an important person that would have been important anyway hadn't married royalty (laughs) right right we don't have to associate her with the king so obviously she's spent about a decade doing papers and doing news reports. And now she's the anchor of the news and she traveled for her job and she was trusted with some of the biggest news stories from the early two thousands. She was in Washington DC for the 2000 presidential election. She was in ground zero for nine 11. She was in Iraq during the following invasion. Oh my God. After this, she's back in Spain for their ecological disaster. There's an oil tanker that sinks off the coast of Spain. I'm not sure whether it's on the Atlantic Ocean side or the Mediterranean Sea side. I'm assuming Mediterranean Sea because that's where a lot of the trade comes through. Um, But during this news report, she had to take some statements from Prince Felipe. 
because he's like, you know, in charge of the government, kind sure. of. Um, and she takes the statements. It's not a really big deal. She just talks to him, gets some quotes, puts them in the paper. And it's especially not a big deal for her because she is working on recovering from a divorce. What? what? Yes. That is exactly how I felt. She actually married that high school teacher. <gasps> oh, no. They dated kind of secretly for around 10 years. Okay. And then they get married and divorce less than a year later. <gasps> that is disconcerting to me. Yeah. Did he like the power struggle? Did yes, he like the idea? Of, he but did. he didn't want a wife. No. He just wanted to be with this young girl. I mean, now she's a full-blown adult with yeah, a graduate degree. A very important person. In- <laughs> and they've been kind of dating for 10 years and they last less than a year together. Or maybe that's her wising up too. Like yeah, maybe, what? Yeah, maybe she left him and was like what am I doing? Like, yeah. Why am I, I'm worth why am I like this? this? <laughs> yeah. No way. So she does report on this oil spill and just goes about her life. The prince though, he's getting a lot of pressure to pick a noble girl. He's 34 years old. He needs to wed. His dad is King and getting older and having health issues. And everybody's stressed about it because he's not paired up. Mm. And like, remember when, um, queen Elizabeth's uncle, the mm-hmm. guy who ends up with Wallace Simpson, mm-hmm. he became king before he was married. Edward, right? Yeah. Edward. yeah. And that ended in a clusterfuck of oh him, like, advocating God. the throne and mm-hmm. moving to America and getting, a, like, kicked go. out. So everybody's just like, you need to get married, like, yeah. before your dad dies or steps down or whatever. But he can't get his brain off of Letizia, <gasps> who interviewed him during this oh oil spill. So he asks his newscaster acquaintance to get her information so that he can contact her. I know. Real life Cinderella. (laughs) This is crazy. And he's like, hi, Letizia. This is the prince of your fucking country. (laughs) Like on the phone. No, he doesn't say that. I don't know what he said, but she turns him down. Wow. She's like, no, this is outrageous. Like, I'm clearly... Because also, if you get entangled in politics in that way, you can't report about it anymore. That's really going to change her, the thing well, she's it, been working for. And she also like, is she just going to keep working while being <laughs> involved with the, like, with the prince? If it gets serious. Yeah. That's a big choice because that's like sucks. I it, didn't even think about that. It, it changes everything. A lot of the other like people that Royals have married, you know, they've, some of them have done, done other things beforehand, but this is like, she is a, has an established career and you can't just casually date a prince. You have to have to consider the repercussions if it gets serious. Yeah. Because, I mean, think about, like, it was shocking that Princess Diana had worked in a middle school. And she, <laughs> or, like, not a middle school, uh, like a pre- primary school. Mm-hmm. And it was, like, she was, like, a high, noble, rich girl. Like, yeah. the Spencers are fucking rolling in cash. Yeah. And Kate Middleton, her family's rolling in cash. So uh-huh. she's, like, quote, unquote, common. Yeah. But not really really this girl (laughs) this girl had middle class money like with middle class parents i would say that she kind of reminds me more in spirit of like a megan Markle. yes absolutely more like a megan Markle. yes who is like oh no i have my own thing going on like Mm -hmm. i'm on suits or whatever that show was yeah suits (laughs) that's exactly where i am so apparently she turns him down about four times but he's relentless like he just really wants to date her get to know her so they finally date totally like in secret for a while 
Then all of a sudden, November 1st, 2003, to the surprise of the entire country, the royal household comes out with an announcement that Letizia is engaged <gasps> to Felipe. What? And they're like, who is this woman? Like, it feels like Cinderella. Yeah. Who is she? <laughs> who is she? Does the shoe fit? Wait, but isn't she also on TV Yeah, and she stuff? is. I think that, you know how, like, people, like, watch different channels? Oh, like, okay. Like, depending on what you watch in the evening news, okay. it's, like, how familiar you are with like, them. if you watch NBC, you're not familiar with, like, the ABC anchors. Exactly. Or okay. Exactly. So it's that yes. type of situation where it's not, like, national necessarily, but everybody's like, who's this girl? Where'd she come from? They, once the engagement is announced, they have her move into a wing of the palace for protection. She can't live with Felipe, but she's got to be in the palace until the day of her wedding, which is fucking lavish. It's multiple days long. There are galas. There are dinners. There are ceremonies. Millions are watching on TV. 1,600 people are in attendance. Her, um, her wedding dress is $8 million. <gasps> what? Mm-hmm. Her tiara that she wore is $680,000. Her ring, her engagement ring is huge. It's probably the most interesting engagement ring I've ever seen. It, there's no diamond in the middle. It's 16 baguette cut diamonds. Huh. But they kind of go in like a crescent moon shape. And she never wears it on her ring finger anymore. Like she did in the initial pictures, but now all the pictures I could find of her, it's on her ring finger. Which I thought was very strange. Like, she's kind of always has her hands kind of folded and you can yeah. see it on her ring finger. I wonder if it's just too fucking big yeah, to I be think. on her ring finger. So she has to put it on her pointer finger. Um, I keep trying to look up pictures and pictures of Meghan Markle keep coming up. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Letizia of Spain. Queen Letizia. What is it? Okay. You see the ring? Are you talking about the oval? It's like oval kind of? Let me say it. This? Is that not it? No, 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 no. That's okay. not it. There's like diamonds around it and it's like crescent shaped. Okay. Um, but she gave him these like gold and sapphire cufflinks like in exchange. So oh. I didn't know you were supposed to give men a present when they no. proposed to you, but I don't know. Maybe it's a royal thing. Hmm. So anyway, this wedding is really big news because it's the first royal wedding in this Catholic cathedral in Spain. Because remember, Spain is heavily Catholic. Oh, yeah. In a very long time. His dad and mom did not get married in that cathedral. His sisters got married, but they were kind of married off in other places. He is, like, getting married. He's going to be the king. And he's getting married in this cathedral with all the glitz and glamour. People are pumped. It is as big as a British royal wedding. Uh Not everyone approves of the princess, though. She's a commoner. Uh She's divorced. Uh And she's marrying the most eligible bachelor for all of the nobles. Fortunately, because her first marriage was only a civil ceremony, there was no wedding. Uh The Catholic Church didn't consider it canonically valid because it was not in a church building. So she could get married in a cathedral and they didn't even require an annulment. Ah. They're like, it's not even a thing. Doesn't matter. You were never married. Uh, the king says... They love to bend those rules, don't they? I know, they do. <laughs> He's the now king. At this point, he was still the prince. That she really grounds him, and this is kind of sad to me, tells him about what normal people would feel like in his decision-making, which we need more of in the royal yes. sphere and in yes, like the rich people <laughs> sphere. Princess Letizia immediately joined in 
on her husband's duties and travels with him as a representative of her father-in-law and of Spain. So she's like, I've done this before for the news. I'll just do it with you. Their first trip is to visit the Pope and they get there and the news is asking to talk to them. And she's like, yeah, I'll take the interview. But this is a huge faux pas. She's taking interviews alone as a princess without the prince. And it just looks really bad. She's just breaking some tradition and doesn't even realize it. They're getting asked questions and she's kind of answering over top of him. People are kind of upset. So she pretty quickly learns her place and tries not to embarrass herself or the crown in like, she's a news reporter. She knows how to talk on the news. And like, I just think that she kind of got swept away in the beginning, which I think she was being a, an amazing independent woman. But everybody was like, that's not how royals act. Oh, my God. Well, maybe could, maybe that you should be like, wow, I like how the royals are acting now. Mm-hmm. Why don't we say that more? Yeah. Huh? Change it up. Change it up. Come on. So she goes to try to make her mark and starts to represent Spain and other countries. She and her husband travel to Jordan, Mexico, Peru, Hungary, the Dominican Republic, Panama, the United States, Serbia, Brazil, Uruguay. Um, Sweden, Denmark, Japan, China, and Portugal. And then they entertain dignitaries from Luxembourg and the Netherlands, all still while they're prince and princess. After she announces um, that she's pregnant, though, she stops her travels and really starts to focus on social issues like Mm -hmm. princesses do. And she focuses mostly on children's rights, culture, and education. And their agendas start to become very distinct. And now she really is an independent woman of the throne. Yeah. Like she has separated herself from him in their avenues of work, which is really cool because she is a working woman. When it sounds like she's acting more like a first lady, you know, like first ladies always have like their mission that like, Mm -hmm. this is the thing that's important to me that I'm going to work on. Right. And I feel like she's modeling that kind of behavior of like, you know, like I think so too, which is a very thing. modern behavior yeah. to have, which I like. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they have two daughters together, Lenore mm. and Sophia, and she is a working mom to them. She is hands on, which everybody's like, she's such so hands on for a royal. Again, it's like, <laughs> stop it. She's raising her kids. It's so weird. But the daughters are very private. People don't know a lot about them because mm. they try to keep them out of the news as much as possible. But at this point, the king is getting very elderly and sick, so he decides to abdicate the throne, and she becomes queen consort overnight. Wow. There's no lavish ceremony. It takes like 30 seconds in the prince's office. They're just, you're king now, you're queen now. All right. Done. June 2014, she becomes the queen of Spain and is now referred to as Your Majesty. She is the first Spanish-born queen consort since 1878. (laughs) They were importing these brides from other countries. That's upsetting. She's also the first queen to be born a commoner in the whole country. Mm. But they do have some issues, right? There's some money problems going on in Spain, and the king and queen are kind of accused of um, corruption. They, like, have these... They're friends with a lot of, like, high-class people, so they've right. got these texts back and forth with, like, business people where they're kind of joking, and it looks really, really bad on them because the EU is, like, bailing out Spain, and then they're like, oh, but why does the royal family have all this money right. and all these connections, which is a just question to ask. A yeah. lot of these countries are asking, why are we spending this much money on royals? Yeah. Which is a question we asked in the 1700s, so one up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why are we spending this money on royals? Um 
so then her cousin trying to get a book writes a book about her and it's terrible he writes this book called goodbye princess where he talks about her teen substance abuse how she's rude and mean to other people he says allegedly that she got an abortion in 2002 which if she did who cares Mm -hmm. but it was also illegal in spain at the time and looks Mm -hmm. real bad in a catholic country he talks about the topless mexico picture he talks about her relationship with the high school teacher and talks about the fact that her sister erica died from a prescription drug overdose what the fuck is wrong with people that's terrible why would you air somebody's bullshit like that I hate that. Because the problem is, too, that, like, royals also have that bullshit, but they have the money to cover it up. Yeah. This guy was desperate. Mm -hmm. So he sold out his cousin and things that might not even be true that he just thinks are true to make money off of her. And it's just, I mean, it's gut-wrenching. That is horrible. Because now it's like everybody knows all of my faults and they already think I'm not worthy of this job. (laughs) So it's sad. Um... Another problem that a lot of people have with her is her appearance. She is very skinny. Very, very skinny. And people often accuse her of anorexia. They say that she's a bad role model for people. They're like, you get all this surgery to make yourself look better, this, that, and the other. Um, And she's admitted to having some, like, plastic surgery on her face, like, things like that. Like, she definitely uses fillers because she's 50 and looks 20 but (laughs) she's just thin yeah she works out she eats healthy food she's rich so she can have a personal trainer she forbids alcohol fast food and sugar in her house oh yeah she's just fucking healthy it's gonna get rid of all that (laughs) all the excess fat so immediately (laughs) it's i just think it's really hurtful to her that it's like why do you have to attack me Mm -hmm. For the the way my body looks, which is such a story every woman's always told. Yeah. When it's not like she's like, yeah, I just don't eat. It's that simple. Right. (laughs) Right. She's like, no, I like work out every day. I meditate. I do yoga. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like I'm eating healthy. I'm traveling the world. I don't have time because I'm stressed as fuck. Yeah. (laughs) Most recently, she led the charge in Spain during COVID and said that we need to advance the rights of children and brought UNICEF in saying we need to help them while they're at home with education, with social opportunities, maybe they're in a poor family and being neglected or beaten. And now they're stuck in that house. And she was like the front lines in Spain of making sure children were taken Mm. care of. She also openly criticizes dictator Putin and his actions against Ukraine. And when she went to a meeting where all these different countries were going to be there, she wore a traditional Ukrainian blouse in support without saying anything. Just went in and was like, no, I stand with Ukraine bitches. (laughs) Like she was very, and that's big for a monarch to be able to make that kind of political statement. So today she's 50 years old. She's one of the most stylish women on the planet. (laughs) And she went to an ordinary public school. This is not some rich girl. This is actually Cinderella. She holds her husband's hand in public. She buys clothes off the rack that are under $100 and just wears them wherever she wants, all (laughs) willy-nilly. And yes, she is 50 and probably had some Botox, but who the fuck cares? (laughs) So that is the Queen of Spain, just like you and me. She's Fascinating. I Queen love Letizia. her. I never heard of her before. I hadn't either. Oh, I didn't even, didn't even know 
Spain had a monarchy. Frankly. Honestly, <laughs> who knows who has monarchies anymore? That's true. Because I'm wrong every time. Uh, <laughs> I just I thought she was really fun and mm-hmm. interesting, and she still has a lot of her life left, which mm-hmm. I'm excited about, and yeah. her daughters I'm excited for. But it's like her story from like. I don't even want to say rags to riches. I was from riches to rags. She like yeah. went from a normal ass life to yeah. like having to deal with all this bullshit. And she does it with grace. Yeah, she does. So mm. amazing. Letizia. All right. Well, you ready to get another drink? I am. We'll be right back. Bye. All right. Wasn't that fun? Yeah. night of conversations (laughs) (laughs) off mic we've been wild tonight yes we have been there's a weird energy coming from us tonight (laughs) that's because we're stressed you guys feel it but (laughs) we're on the verge of switching from scorpio to sagittarius that's the problem oh yeah things are happening it was a full moon like two days ago and then we had the lunar eclipse lunar eclipse is happening all the witches are out (laughs) things are going wild wackety schmackety right okay so are you ready to get into this drink it is blood orange. <laughs> it is. Is it animal blood that I'm no, drinking? It's not. Oh, what is it? Um, so this is called Silhouetta. It is an ounce and a half of spiced rum, an ounce of apple, an ounce of cranberry juice, and an ounce of orange juice. So red. Um, and then I did um, an orange bitters as well. Okay. Um, and then I was like, I'm gonna be artsy, and I so like we'll talk about Anna's uh, Silhouetta series. That's what this is named after. Okay. And I was like, I'm gonna peel an orange and sprinkle the orange rind with bitters, so it resembles a woman's silhouette. <laughs> That didn't work out. Okay. But it does look okay. It looks interesting. Um, so, yeah. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> it looks delicious. Mmm. I like that. It's like a slushy. Yeah. I, I like, like it a lot. A lot. Mm. That's really good. Well, I think the Aperol, like, like, everything in it is so sweet, but the mm-hmm. Aperol is so bitter. Yeah. You know, that it helps it really, a lot. Like, takes it down a notch. And cranberry really nice. juice is... Mm. My favorite juice. I love cranberry juice so much. And it's so annoying that all cranberry juice, I I specifically got the pure cranberry Uh juice that says not sweetened because the first ingredient in every cranberry juice is apple juice. It is. It's so frustrating. And (laughs) if I wanted apple juice, I'd buy apple juice. Somebody posted posted a meme. (laughs) It's like cranberry juice, like Nick Cannon having babies with everybody. (laughs) He's on his 12. I know, because it's like cran apple, (laughs) cran frame. (laughs) I was like, yes. That is a funny observation. Oh my gosh. Cranberry juice. Keep it in your, not to slut shame, but keep it in your juicy pan. Keep it in your bog. Okay. (laughs) You float to the top alone. (laughs) Oh my gosh. All right. So, what do you know about Ana Mendieta? I know absolutely nothing. You said she was from Cuba. You Mm -hmm. said she does some like silhouette art. You said she likes to have nude photos. All right. Good. That's it. That's all I got. I don't know. (laughs) I don't. No. Okay. So I got a lot of this from No Man's Land, uh, which is such a great podcast. I also love the name because it's all about like unknown women. Mm. No Man's Land. Um, and then Wikipedia. And then there was another podcast where it's, it was like a five or six part series that I found like 
literally today. So <laughs> you like I listened to it all the way to work. Like, ah! <laughs> but then I didn't want it to like mess up anything they'd already done. So okay. I'll I'll mention that at the end. Um, <laughs> but anyways, because I didn't actually use it in my research. Okay. Um, and then there was like a YouTube video where this girl kind of went through her art and all this other stuff. So she was great. Blonde hair. Didn't write it down. Perfect. I'm very sorry. The blonde YouTube okay. video. Okay. <laughs> You know, that blonde, I feel like I sound like my mom. That blonde lady on the internet <laughs> video. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, so let's get into it. Um, also, we talk about violence against uh, people and women in this episode, so just be aware of that. Ana Mendieta was born on November 18th, which is the day after this episode. That is, is un- uh, happy birthday, girl. Happy birthday. Happy birthday! <laughs> 1948 in Havana, Cuba. That's my cousin's birthday, November 18th. No way. Yeah, Rachel. Ah. Um, she grew up privileged, wealthy, and sheltered. Her father, Ignacio Alberto Mendieta de Lizar, was an attorney and the nephew of Carlos Mendieta, who was the president of Cuba for just under two years. Okay, let's talk about that. <laughs> Wait, what year is this again? She was born in 1948. Okay. And her mother, Raquel Oti de Rojas, was a chemist. She was a researcher. And she was the granddaughter of Carlos Maria de Rojas, a sugar mill owner celebrated for his role in the war against Spain for Cuban independence. So not only are her parents very prominent members of current Cuban society, but her family has a very rich history in the country. Uh, she had an older sister named Raclin, and together they attended Catholic boarding school in Havana. That is, until the Communist Revolution. When Anna was 12 years old, her life turned upside down. She, her sister, and 14,000 other children were evacuated. Uh, in Anna's case, she and her sister were airlifted out of Cuba to escape Fidel Castro's communist regime. Anna and Raqueline were sent to Iowa, just the two of them, with a note that said, do not, under any circumstance, separate these two girls. So, I mean, this is like, because they're such high nobles, they yeah. need to, they're going to be murdered mm-hmm. if they come back. Okay. The two sisters spent their first few weeks in refugee camps, and then they moved between several institutions and foster homes throughout Iowa, which I can't even think of a more different place than Cuba, <laughs> uh, for two years. They were eventually sent to a reform school, but it was also very difficult because the girls were not super fluent in English. And this is when Anna discovered her love of art. It seems like art was a way for her to communicate without words, and she, soon she threw herself into it 100%. Five years after they left Cuba, they were reunited with their mother and brother, but Anna wouldn't see her father again for 18 years because he was being held captive as a political prisoner for his involvement in the Bay of Pigs invasion. Oh, shit. 18 years. Anna soon found herself at the University of Iowa studying French and art. Uh, she also had an affair with a teacher while she was here. Interesting. No um, way. <laughs> she eventually earned her BA and her MA in art from the University of Iowa. Anna was an interesting person because she was tiny, but she was very loud. She was friendly and outgoing, but she also wasn't afraid to get into arguments and be combative. She loved her family fiercely, and her niece talked about how much she loved having her Aunt Anna as an art teacher. 
She said Anna taught her to appreciate and care for her own art. She said, don't just throw your art into a pile. Treat it as something special, you know? And so her niece was like, I always like organize my art and put it in this very special drawer because like if I didn't appreciate it, how could other people, you Mm. know, which is what Anna taught her. Um, And that's what Anna did with her art. And as she found her style over the years, she also found her artistic voice and both were very precious to her. So she considered herself a sculptor, but her medium was often photography and her tools were like her own body. And, um, she would play with gender sometimes with her photographs. So like in like for one series, she like had her friend like shave part of his beard and she like glued his hair to her face and like made it into like beards and mustaches and like photographed it, you know, which is like pretty radical for the, for this time. For the time yeah. yeah. Um, and the pictures are like oddly beautiful. And I think that's what she was going for. Cause like, she's such a pretty woman that like you look at, her with like a beard and it's like very jarring but it's so they're cool photos um but one of her first big pieces to gain attention was a kind of performance art piece called rape scene in 1973 so this piece took place in her very own apartment students and teachers from the university of iowa came through the door of her apartment and witnessed anna wearing a flannel shirt Her hands were bound together and stretched over her head and she was bent over a table that was skewed and there were broken dishes scattered around the room and it was dark except for one light kind of underneath of her. Her underwear was pulled down to her ankles so when people walked in they saw her from behind naked from the waist down and her backside and legs were covered in blood. She stood still in that position for an hour while people came in and reflected on the scene. And you can still see photographs of it. And it is jarring. It looks like a crime scene photo. And what made it especially impactful to this campus and the people at this university was that a young woman had just been raped and murdered on their campus, which is why Anna did this in the first place. She wanted to bring this lonely isolating feeling to people who may not understand how something like that feels and to kind of bring people into like maybe if you had seen it this is what you would have seen you know and so it's kind of a commentary on like we don't take the violence like violence against women uh seriously and like imagine if you walked in on this right and that was like the whole point of the piece and The theme of violence, specifically violence against women, would prove to be a through line of her work. Um, Her next piece was called Moffat Street Building. Um, Anna poured blood on the sidewalk outside of a ground floor apartment, so it looked like it was coming out from under the door. Um, And she sat in a car looking at the door and recorded video and photographed people walking by all day glancing at the blood, seeing it coming from under the door and just not really paying any mind and just walking right by it. And it never ends with someone like calling the police or anything. A guy just kind of comes and eventually washes it away with water. And it's kind of this, she is always kind of thinking about like, if that was like a woman inside that was being murdered, like no one would fucking care. 
Yeah. You know, no one would stop and be like, oh my gosh, there's blood on the sidewalk. We should call someone. It's like, like the Genevieve story shop that yes. we did. Like people just, you're going about your business. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We've been taught not to care for too long. That's why you yell fire when mm-hmm. you're in an emergency. Mm-hmm. People care about fire. Yes, they do. Then she set out to make her best known series called Silhouetta. This was a series of what she called earth body sculptures. She would travel around to places in the U.S. and Mexico and later on Italy, and she would form her female silhouette in nature in mud or sand or grass with natural materials, you know, ranging from leaves and twigs to snow to blood. And she would make body prints um, in the earth or she would paint her outline or her silhouette like onto a wall with all natural things. Um So I am going to show you some pictures because I think it's, you know, kind of hard to understand. Um, So in once, this is the first one you're going to see. She is in like a pre-Columbian grave, I believe in Mexico, and she's naked with just white flowers over her. And it looks kind of like nature's taking over her as if she were dead but not decaying, just kind of becoming a part of the earth. Um, in another, she dug out her silhouette into the ground and filled it with gunpowder and lit the whole thing on fire. So it's just her silhouette burning in the ground. Uh, in another one, she made it in the sand and filled it with red paint and photographed it while the tide washed it away. Uh, in another, she painted herself with what looks like mud and photographed herself nearly blending in completely with a tree. It's very Peter Malark of her. <laughs> <laughs> One might say. (laughs) One might say. No, these are stunning images. Yeah. She would make her silhouette in the snow and like fill it with red paint. In Corazon de Roca con Sangre or Rock Heart with Blood, she kneels next to an impression of her body that had been cut into like a muddy riverbank. So in that one, she's naked next to her own silhouette. Mm. And she did this for years, and the photos are incredible, and I would highly recommend, like, looking up this series. Yeah, they're beautiful. They're gorgeous. Like, and especially, like, I love the ones in, like, the snow, Mm -hmm. you know, because it's, like, this white snow, but it's also, like, kind of gray. Like, it almost looks like it's, like, snow from, like, a parking lot, and there's, like, all this red paint all over it. Like, they're really cool pieces. And she said once about this series... I've been carrying out a dialogue between the landscape and the female body based on my own silhouette. I believe this has been a direct result of my having been torn from my homeland of Cuba during my adolescence. I am overwhelmed by the feeling of having been cast from the womb or nature. My art is the way I reestablish the bonds that unite me to the universe. It's a return to the maternal source. So she's representing being ripped away from her homeland while also incorporating a body-to-earth connection that is frequently taught in Santeria, the mystical religion of Cuba. And it's also one of the reasons she uses a lot of, like, blood in her artwork, because blood is a big part of Santeria. Okay. Um, So it's kind of her way of connecting not only back to her homeland and but also like incorporating the religion of her homeland back into it. It's very interesting. Um, And deeper than I could ever possibly understand. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Exactly. But she wanted people to feel visceral reactions to her artwork. So she did that by using, you know, a lot of blood, sometimes her own, but mainly animal blood that she got from a local butcher. 
Um, and in another piece that had big Santeria energy, she stood naked in front of a white wall holding a freshly decapitated chicken while its blood just poured all over her. Chickens are very, like, I feel like a lot of witchcraft, like, yes. uses chicken blood. Yes. And Santeria is kind of like a mixture of, like, I, th- I, be- I believe I could be totally wrong on this, mm-hmm. but it's like, you know, uh, Catholicism and West African voodoo and, mm-hmm. you know, other spiritual practices. So it's kind of like a, like another kind of a voodoo, which does have some animal sacrifice. Yeah. Um, again, I am not a Santeria expert or a voodoo expert. So no, but chickens are cited a lot. I know like, yeah. I mean, it sounds stupid, but like in a lot of fantasy books, there's a lot of chickens that die. Like think about like, Ginny Weasley used mm. them to write blood on the walls in like the second Harry Potter book. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I think as they're so plentiful. Yeah. And, and fairly easy to catch. They are. <laughs> Farrah uses them to lure the, um, cereal, the mm-hmm. first time. Like, I think it's like a very like kind of witchery thing to yeah. like kill a chicken. Yeah. It's not like killing a cow. Like you kill a cow, you can't eat for a year because yeah. you've just killed your entire life source. But like yep. a chicken, you're like, ah, oh, it's just one, mm-hmm. which like no offense to chickens, but still. You are one of many. Yeah. (laughs) In another famous piece um, called Body Tracks, this was kind of an experience that, like, people were invited to, another one of those. And she walks in to a room, and there's just, like, a white piece of paper on the wall she loves a big white piece of paper and <laughs> she i mean in. honestly same <laughs> honestly i don't do anything with yeah. it but i like it <laughs> she dipped her hands and her forearms into animal blood and she just kind of like stood up and put her hands up and then just like dragged them down and she kind of is like doing it slowly and I think she did it like a couple times because like they said like the paper was like thin and it was like disintegrating sometimes like underneath of all the blood and stuff. Um, and then she would just walk away. Very like Rose and Titanic mm-hmm. hand on the <laughs> Like I can't, that's, I cannot understand that type of artist. Yeah. Like I can't, like if I ever did something like that, I would be copying someone else. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. This is just like original thought. I don't get it. Yeah. And she is very original because like, she was in a very big shift in the art movement and world. Okay. Art was getting very political. And one, not that it hadn't been, I know some people were like, oh, art's been political since the Renaissance. <laughs> so, but, <laughs> but it was getting very political. And one of the things that Anna, Anna was also bucking against was the outdated views that women were to be muses and not artists. Like that idea was like kind of still around. <laughs> during this time which is so frustrating surprise so a man paints a naked woman on a chaise lounge and the male gaze is clear she is an inspiration she is a work of art herself you should be looking at her and like glorifying like her beautiful naked body but when you see anna's naked body covered in blood the reaction is something totally different. I think she wanted to take the traditional female body in art, which is something that is a work of art itself. And she's like, no, no, my naked body is not for your pleasure, for the art world's pleasure. pleasure. Like this is to make a point that Mm -hmm. like my body doesn't belong to you. Like it belongs to me. And like, this is what I'm doing. I'm sure I'm also like reading it totally wrong. No, 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 no. But. I think that, I think it's very interesting to make yourself the artist and the muse, but the muse yeah. is not 
lovely it's tortured which is like if you take all the artwork from all the years of of men painting women in the male gaze and pile it up eventually you find torture on the top it's like the pee at the bottom of the mattress that has Mm -hmm. been there for so long that you can't even get a good night's rest yep and i think it's also like empowering almost to be like yeah this isn't my body isn't to turn you on in this case Mm -hmm. like it's to make you think about something Mm -hmm. Other than the fact that I'm a naked woman. Right. So. This is to make you feel something. Uncomfortable. Anything. Yeah. Yeah. It's uncomfortable when you see a a woman holding a chicken and its blood is draining all over her. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm not going to say I wouldn't like it. (laughs) I just want to understand. So she's getting some attention and she's making a name for herself. She moves to Manhattan and in 1978 she joined AIR Incorporated or Artists in Residence. And this was the first gallery in the United States created specifically for women. Um, which was a huge deal because it got rid of one of the main deterrents for women in the art world, which was male gatekeepers. And in 1979, she had her first solo show at the AIR gallery. Her silhouette photographs were hung on the wall in a simple manner. No fancy frames or anything like that. And people loved it. They were moved by what she was doing because it was amazing. Hmm. Um, all sorts of people from the art scene in Manhattan came to see it, including a man named Carl Andre. Carl was everything opposite of what Anna was. Do we like Carl? I don't. Okay. <laughs> Carl with a K, Carl with a C. C. Okay. No wonder we don't like C. him. <laughs> he was large and imposing, and his artwork was simple, cold, and sterile, while Anna's was complex and rich. So... Carl Wow, had, tell me your I'm opinion. Sorry. <laughs> tell me your opinion, Katie. <laughs> Carl had become very well known for his minimalist art. He is referred to as a founding father of minimalism. Blah. And he also called himself a sculptor. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to call him a placer. He oh. didn't sculpt things. Like, he would take existing materials like bricks or like two by fours or blocks of wood or whatever, like steel, like squares. And he would place them in interesting shapes. So he's a stacker. Or sometimes not interesting shapes. (laughs) So some of them were cool, like big pyramid type things that were like made of wood blocks and like were interesting. And you could see that like, okay, like that's pretty cool. And some of them are, I'm going to say it so you don't have to, fucking lame. It's just like... (laughs) One of his most famous ones was steel squares laid in a checkerboard pattern on the floor or just wood blocks put in a rectangle on the floor. Like, it's maddening. (laughs) He also became kind of a minimalist art piece himself. He wore a uniform of blue overalls every day to symbolize that artists are just like blue collar working class people. They're just working to make a living, which would make sense if those working class people also lived in huge apartments in Greenwich village with doormen like Carl Andre did. Yeah. I listen, (laughs) here's the problem. I think that there, there is minimalist art that is so important. Yes. And like people get really, judgy about like the black square or like jackson pollock Mm -hmm. is just throwing fucking paint around but it's like there's different kinds of minimalist art and 
like this guy just seems kind of like bullshit like he's posing yeah he's doing what i would do i would just stack some shit and be like i'm an original okay <laughs> you know right i will say because there is a difference because like i like modern art yes he's very modern art but Agree. like agree i like it there is a guy and i will never forget this he won the artscape like artscape is the biggest like outdoor arts festival like in the world in the world free and arts festival in the world it's in baltimore it's in baltimore <laughs> and this guy he like won the competition and his art piece was a sandbag with a two by four lane no on it. sorry that's no i the instagram pictures i take it artscape are better They're than that better, I, okay <laughs> I have one. Charles pic- Vincent is screaming at us. He's like, no, listen, d- deeper. Charles, I'm going to. Charles, I'm sorry. I just don't get it. I'm going to send you a picture, Charles, that I took at Artscape. <laughs> I have. Tell me it's not better than. <laughs> I have two. Okay. I have two, two by really four good on ones sandpaper. Because I've gone every year of my life. There's one with Eliza Bug, like almost a baby. Mm-hmm. She's sitting on a stool, but there's just like a like a old piece of plywood that says art this way. <laughs> and she's sitting on a stool with her back facing me. And I was like, that's a really good picture. I'll show it to you later. You're going <laughs> to okay. die. And then there's another one of you and Eliza running through those ribbons. Oh my gosh. Don't I you love, love that, that picture? Photo. Yes. It's gorgeous. Uh, better than a two by four on a sandbag. Yes. But also, I'm just gonna say I don't it. know the difference. I mean, obviously my subjects are typically people in pictures. So I know that's a different type of art. It's than like things, but who knows? Whatever. I'm right. But I hate Carl Andre. <laughs> um, Carl, we hate you. Carl with a C. But regardless of how I feel about his <laughs> art or him as a person, people really loved his artwork. And it was new and weird. And I also, all right, I'm just going to say it too. I think it made people feel uh, an exclusion that they loved of like, you just don't get it. I feel like the you just don't get it started with Carl Andre. And I'm just going to say it. I I'm making big statements about that. art that's today. Like, uh, that's like uh, I liked that band before you liked exactly. that band. It's like okay, <laughs> shut up. Nobody wants to talk to you anymore. I like Dave Grohl before he was in Nirvana. Exactly, but nobody shut cares. Up. Nobody. Did. <laughs> nobody knows um, who you are. <laughs> so, anyways, when he and Anna, uh, so <laughs> he and Anna really officially met um out at dinner following her solo show yes andre was you know carl andre was making it big he took everybody out to a japanese restaurant you know throwing his money around and his big blue overalls and whatever <laughs> i hate they him for that were, I do. <laughs> they were magnetically attracted to each other and started dating even though he was 13 years older than her and she was definitely like dating somebody else at the time <laughs> so Back to her career, though. Um, after this show, her art was not just present in this women's collective underground kind of scene. It was soon in demand. She received a Guggenheim Fellowship and a National Endowment for the Arts Prize. So she's like a big deal. She's getting to be a big deal. Okay. Like She's moving up in the art world. She was invited to put her works in um, exi- exhibits all over the world. And in 1983, she received the Rome Prize, which allowed her to live in Italy and create art for a year, which I've heard about this. My friend Rosemary got to do this in Denmark, where you become like an artist in residence of a city, and they just pay you to live there for a year and create cool art. Can I like... It's the best gig. I want to like sponsor somebody to do that in Baltimore. Like come live in my house and just create art for free. 
Um, hit me up guys. You can live here. (laughs) She loved Italy. She loved being there. She just loved the city and everything about it. And then she also kind of realized she goes, I actually really like sculpting in a studio, which she didn't really know that she loved so much before. (laughs) You got to learn by experience, girl. And so she's loving this chapter of her life. And she is also falling in love with Carl. She traveled back and forth between Rome and Manhattan quite frequently just to see him. And they were becoming the new it couple of the art world. Carl loved having this cute young up-and-coming artist on his arm and she loved getting introduced to the famous people that he knew i mean some of these people were her heroes use it up she's like you know them use it up of course like one of the podcasts was like listening like they were going out to dinner with so and so and so and so i was like i have no idea who they are unless it's andy warhol (laughs) i don't know who it is (laughs) i'm sorry is it dolly what year was Dolly? I every time Salvador we do this, Dolly, I feel like was like the forties. Katie, but also, every time I we get do so this, fucked up with him. I don't know I what year he is. I feel like the surreal art was like the forties. I can't understand. So, anyways, um, Carl even once said that they were like Frida Kahlo and Diego Rivera. I was about to say that because he said, you know, because I'm a big important artist, and you're like a tiny cute. Not as famous artist. Even though they, she's <laughs> much more famous than him. I'm so now. upset. I'm so upset about it. Free to count. But with a whirlwind romance, uh, especially between artists, mm. comes a lot of problems. Sure. The couple drank a lot and they fought even more. Same. Especially as the years went on and Anna's work was getting more in demand and Carl saw the prices of his work slowly drop. Uh-oh. The relationship was very tense, which was why people were kind of surprised that the couple married in 1985 in a private ceremony in Italy. Soon after the wedding, Anna and Carl returned to New York to start their life together. And Anna was excited because it was early September and she had made plans to see her family. They were going to spend the whole day together and go out to dinner and catch up. And, you know, she hadn't really seen them a lot because she had been traveling a lot, you know, and she loved her family. But when her family got to her apartment and knocked on her door, they didn't get an answer. So her mom wrote her note saying like, hey, we're sorry we missed you. Like, just let us know what's going on. Because her mom had a bad feeling about this. She was like, it's not like Anna to miss appointments, especially with us. Then another weird thing happened. Carl suddenly canceled a dinner party that the couple had planned with all of their friends, just telling people something came up. I'm sorry, we have to cancel. Um, I'm being curious about Carl. (sighs) Then a few days later... Anna's mother received a phone call. It was one of Anna's uh, friends or somebody who knew them, and they asked her, so do you know when Anna's funeral service will be? What? Anna had been dead for a few days, and Carl just hadn't said anything to them, or other people for that matter. I don't understand. What do you mean she's dead? She's dead. Who killed her? We'll see. When Anna's close friend called looking for her, Carl simply said she wasn't there. But soon the news obviously started to break about her death. Um, One of her friends was like, yeah, I heard people talking and they said, oh my gosh, did you hear Carl Andre's wife just died? Which I hate that anyone would refer to her as Carl Andre's wife. They'd only been married for like eight months. So on September 8th, 1985, Anna and Carl had been drinking. They had been fighting, which was confirmed because all the neighbors could clearly hear them. 
and suddenly Anna's body, Anna's body fell from the window of the apartment building. They were on the 34th floor. She crashed into the roof of a deli down below and was killed immediately. So they're fighting. She falls from a window. Mm -hmm. He's there. Mm -hmm. And people don't know for days. She was wearing nothing but blue underwear. Mm. Carl called 911 and he said, my wife is an artist and I am an artist. And we had a quarrel about the fact that I was more exposed to the public than she was. And she went to the bedroom and I went after her and she went out the window. According to Carl, which is a weird thing to say. Like, that's such a weird statement to me. Like, I know, like, you know, 911 calls are hard to really decipher because, like, it's a hard thing to judge people on because you're so frantic. But whatever. But according to Carl, he said, no, she jumped out the window. She was committing suicide. You know, it's like, that's what happened. But some things were a little fishy. A doorman down below had heard a woman screaming, no, 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 before Anna went out the window. And Andre had scratches all over his face. Her family also highly doubted that she would do this. Number one, her career was going really well. She was at the height. She was about to like really break into like popular art. Um, and she was also very afraid of heights and it was the type of window where she would have had to stand on something and maneuver herself to jump out of it. Like this was not a Lexi Featherton from sex and the city situation. This is not a, a big floor to ceiling window or even like windows like we have in here. Like this is a weird window where she would have had to get up on something to throw herself out She would out have had to, like, really make the decision. Make the decision. And right. also, like, you're coming after her. And, like, it would have taken her a second to, like, get into that position. And you don't grab her and pull her back in. Right. I think, I mean, what would have been easier uh, or more believable situation is for Andre, who is so much bigger than her. Remember, she's under five foot tall. She's a little baby. Uh, for her, for him to pick her up and push or throw her out of the window, which is what many people think happened. But many other people think that she jumped. And this exact question, what happened to Ana Mandieta, Mandieta, truly divided the art world. Carl was soon arrested for her death. And what proceeded was a very contentious trial by judge, not by jury, which I mm. think is interesting. The defense argued that, you know, there's no solid proof that he pushed her and they pointed to her artwork and said, look at the use of blood and gore in her artwork. Like, it's clear that she's always been suicidal. Oh, shut up. Which was not at all what she intended. No, she was pointing the finger at everybody else. Yeah. And in the end, her own artwork, which was focused on violence against women, was used against her. And the end result was that Carl Andre was acquitted, found not guilty for her death. And when he left the courtroom, he simply said, justice has been served. Carl is currently 81 years old and is still revered in the art world as a founding father of minimalism. He still sells art. He still gets spoken about in art school curriculums for his impact. And he is still wearing those fucking blue overalls, which feel like me to a big fuck you to working class people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because the, 
The most amount of money one of his pieces went for at auction was $2.9 million. I don't think that <laughs> working class people have their bricks selling for millions of dollars. No. But women of the art world have not stayed so silent. When the Guggenheim put one of his sculptures in their Soho gallery in 1992, 500 women protested outside. Three years later, a group called the Guerrilla Girls plastered posters all over Manhattan with Carl's photo next to O.J. Simpson's saying, what do these two men have in common? Then down below, it included the statistic that a woman is assaulted by a husband or boyfriend every 15 seconds, and some of those assaults end in murder. At another gallery that featured his art, women made silhouettes in the snow outside and covered them in red paint. In 2010, a symposium called Where is Anna Mendieta was held at New York University to commemorate the 25th anniversary of her death. And as recently as April 2017, protesters at a Carl Andre retrospective handed out cards at the Geffen Contemporary Museum with the question, Donde esta Anna Mendieta? Women still don't let him forget. And they remind the art world anytime they praise Carl Andre or feature his work that he left a dead woman in his wake. And that's the unfortunate thing about Anna Mendieta's life and career. She made bold artwork that spoke out against violence against women and praising the female form and then was possibly murdered by her husband of just eight months. And her career remains overshadowed by this large man and her early death. She was just 36 years old when she died. There was so much more to come from her. So I would encourage folks to check out her art and appreciate what she did and maybe ruminate for a second on what was to come. What else she could have brought to the world to make us stop and think. And that is, isn't that crazy? That is a crazy story. It's a terribly sad story. I have, I have goosebumps. I'm like so upset about it, but I'm also like, I have goosebumps because I'm so proud that women have not let it go. Yeah. Yeah. They be like, I'm sorry. I'm not going to let, even if you are still going to your galas, I am not going to let you go in peace. No, because I'm sorry. I, I'm in the camp. I believe he 100% killed her. Mm. And I think that he finagled his way into a trial by judge. I don't know if that's something you pick or whatever. Mm-hmm. I guess you have the option. Um, I don't know anything. No, there's certain like uh, there's certain standards. Like there, it has to be like a certain caliber of crime. Which like, this one should have a jury. Murder? Yeah, this one should be a jury. That should have been, a jury, been trial. a jury trial. Because I don't trial. think that a jury would have let him go. No. I really don't think so. No. I don't know. It's very frustrating. And it's frustrating to me that like big wigs in the art world, like posted bail for him and paid for his legal counsel. And it like, must've been that he, <sighs> they must've said that he couldn't get a jury of his peers. Mm. That's the big thing that lawyers will argue when you're famous. But if OJ got a jury of his peers, I know, right? <laughs> who's a peer at that point? I've never even heard of Carl, on- Carl Andre. Now I fucking hate him. <laughs> um, <laughs> I want to have a and gala it, against him in his honor, against his honor. I was talking to Casey about him last night in his blue overalls, and Casey's like, I don't want to hear this. I hate this. <laughs> I know. Fuck I just, guy. every time Jake asks me what I'm doing this week, I'm like, you really want to know? Yeah. You really want to know? And he's like, I 
Yeah, yes. I want to know. <laughs> All um, right. Well, Are you, you ready to talk about them together? Oh, horoscopes. Yeah, I forgot horoscopes. Yeah, I have that. <laughs> okay, so. Anna obviously was born like next week. So, or actually <laughs> tomorrow if you're listening to this in time. She's a Scorpio. So she's a Scorpio. And the horoscope for her date of birth said, you could be full of big ideas now. And you are also quite rebellious and determined not to let yourself be stifled by traditions or convention, which is fine. But do not take too many risks, either with your money or your emotions. With optimistic Jupiter, the plant of expansion now at the planet, sorry, of expansion now at odds with unpredictable Uranus, almost anything could happen. One deeper purpose of this transit is to make you recognize your need for greater independence. (gasps) Greater independence. Don't marry that guy. (laughs) (laughs) Don't. We hate him. Okay. So Letizia is a Virgo, Mm. September 15th, 1972, and it says that your life's pursuit is to do the right thing, and you have a secret desire for love and to have love be returned. Oh, my gosh. It also says that you love animals, healthy food, books, nature, cleanliness, and you dislike rudeness and asking for help to take center stage. It says that the strengths of this type of person would be that they're loyal, kind, hardworking, and practical, Mm -hmm. but also overly critical of themselves and others. All work and no play. Very fitting. I know. Oh, my gosh. I can believe it. I was like, that's exactly her. That's so perfect. (laughs) Mm. All right. So now we need to talk about these two women together in a little segment we like to call Just the Two of Us. Wowza. I mean, I think from even the beginning, it's like you have them going the opposite direction. Yes. Like Letizia was working class, going to royalty, and Anna was from an upper class Cuban family and then went to working class. Absolutely. Which I thought was really interesting. I, I agree. I think that their stories are like mirror images of one another. Mm-hmm. And then they also chose very like opposite mediums. Yes. The way that art and news convey information to the mm-hmm. public are mm-hmm. very opposite and and both very necessary. Yes. But, but different in the way that they attempt to tell people what's happening in the world. Yeah. Because I think news is supposed to tell you what's happening and art inspires you about like to feel something about what's happening. Yeah. So think like, about it. I think that art has that ability, like especially Anna's art, like maybe you walked in to her rape scene piece and were like, I don't really believe women who say that this is happening. And then you walk in and you're like, Oh my God. Like I like, cause it, the whole thing about that scene was that it felt be- like it looks believable. Mm-hmm. Like you could believe that you could find this in a college apartment you right. know which is very upsetting and i would also love like if there were similar rape scene pieces that had less blood or yeah. less destruction mm-hmm. because rape comes in so many shapes and colors and sizes yeah. that mm-hmm. it's like if you call it rape scene and have people walk in and be like oh i've done that yeah oh i've been uh-huh. had that done to me yeah like there are so many like you're right it art personalizes things that are just reported about yeah and i think that News makes you uh, kind of dig your heels in about your own beliefs. Mm. And art can make you change your mind. Yeah. And I think that that's the power because if you see something on the news that you don't agree with, it's now a common practice to be like, well, that's just not true. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Which is a very dangerous thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, very dangerous. Well, I don't agree with it, so it's not true. Mm-hmm. You know, I lost the, you know, the presidential race, so it must have been rigged. Mm-hmm. You know, like this is, this kind of behavior is upsetting to me. Yeah. But we're not talking about that. Right. Um, we could <laughs> if you want. No, I don't want to. No, yeah. I, I also think that both of these women, there is this, they both have relationships with teachers. Mm-hmm. But I, I think there's a route to that where it's that these women are both highly educated mm-hmm. and girls just want to learn mm-hmm. and they look for sponsors and supporters in the people who are in charge of educational institutions. Yeah. Because if women do not have sponsors and supporters, especially in the seventies, in yeah. the forties, in the, whenever you don't get where you want to go. So they were putting their eggs in a basket that was then turned into a relationship. Yeah. And that sucks. Even if it is, a cognizant choice you're making you were there to try to learn and somebody took advantage of you because you needed them yes it's the whole thing about like the male gatekeepers that are slowly going away i think but they still exist like you know we do still live in a patriarchal culture where there is a lot of this going on and it could be you know on a micro level or it could be on like a huge macro level, you know? Mm. And I think that that's also like, it's definitely like a, t- like a lot of people accused Anna of like only being with Carl to like get his art world connections. You know what I'm saying? And it's also like, but part of me is like, all right, well, what else did you want her to do? like, <laughs> she's trying to get out there. Like, you know, and also she was still doing it regardless of him, whatever. But I also think that it's, their higher education was rare for their fields. You know, a lot of people succeed in art with BAs and MAs and PhDs, but a lot of people like don't have that. And like, that's kind of their edge. You know, is that like, they're a self-made artist, they're a starving Mm -hmm. artist, you know, they don't have any training. And like, I think that royalty was kind of the same thing of like, the education is different and it's not necessarily that higher education. So I thought that was also very interesting between the two of them. Yeah, I I agree. I think that, you know, the field that you end up going into is usually so directed by the time you're in university and it like focuses so much on what you understand about the world. Mm -hmm. And I just, I, I think I found it so that Anna understood violence against women but when you're living it Mm -hmm. it's so different Mm -hmm. and i think that letizia like understood what it meant to be you know a working class woman in royalty and then it just continued to get thrown in her face like living the situation is so much harder than actually understanding the situation because they were both so knowledgeable yeah. Well, and they used their own personal experiences to fuel what they were trying to tell people. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Anna didn't make it up that she felt totally ripped away from her homeland. No. She was literally airlifted out of Cuba. Yeah, for sure. Like for sure. torn away from her uh-huh. family, uh-huh. you know? And Letizia wasn't making up that like she had to work really hard to get where she was. And like, she knows what it felt like to also like, have rules made upon her and then to be in a position where like, Oh, I can actually affect change. Mm -hmm. Like that's a huge thing. Like going from a position of powerlessness to power is it's very interesting. And it's, uh, 
I don't know. It's cool that both of them kind of, they did that and they're bringing attention to social issues, you know, kind of like talk about the news, but also like even with her talking about like bringing UNICEF in during COVID because it's again, her bringing her own personal experience. She's like, I know kids that live in these kinds of households, you know, and I know that they are probably not okay. Mm -hmm. You know, her husband may not have that firsthand knowledge of like, Oh no, I'm sure the kids of Spain are fine. Right. (laughs) She's like, no, they're not. Not all of them. Yeah. Like he's like, I was locked inside my whole childhood in a really wealthy mansion. Yeah. Palace. It was great. (laughs) I, yeah, I, I don't know. I, it's hard to find like exact similarities between them, but in a sense they were both bringing light to like things that everybody knows, but Mm. is unwilling to like come to reckon with. Yes. I totally agree. And also, like, I think they did that with their bodies in a way, too. Like, I was thinking about, like, how she had those topless photos, like, photos thrown in her face. Mm-hmm. And Anna specifically, like, took hundreds, thousands of naked photos of herself, I think, to kind of destigmatize, like, the female body. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, it begs the question of like so when is it art and when is it pornography and like when is it something that we should be women should feel empowered about and when is it something women should feel ashamed about you know and I just feel like their naked bodies were public in very opposite ways Mm -hmm. because in one it was very controlled and like I'm choosing to do this and in another one it was kind of like uncovered and just I don't I hate that it was that was done like that, like th- thrown in her face. Yeah, because she probably loved having that picture taken. Like yeah. she chose to do it. It uh-huh. was an art piece. Mm-hmm. She was in a different country as a young 20 something, like a gorgeous woman. Mm-hmm. She was like, it's not a crude photo. Mm-hmm. Like it's gorgeous, but it's also like, you know, there, there are still people who are going to stigmatize you for empowering your body. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's just, the way it is like in politics right now you can't be a fully free woman and still expect for people to take you seriously yeah. people have problems with the fact that aoc was a bartender yeah like oh like God. you can't you can't live a normal life and expect to be accepted fully and taken mm-hmm. seriously yeah which is and, sad and people are still talking about Letizia's body and like yeah. she's too skinny she's too this she's had too much plastic surgery she looks too young for 50 you know it's like the criticism just like doesn't stop. It's so frustrating. Um, and I also think one of the big elephants in both of their stories is that they married big, important men who wouldn't let up and who also like kind of overshadow them. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. in this weird way. For sure. Even though like they have their own things going on, like very strongly, like the, you can't help but see that like their lives are overwhelmed by these men you know which is really unfortunate because I think that they both would have been famous in their own right without them you know Letizia as a broadcast journalist and Anna as an artist and it's frustrating to me that a lot of their story is wrapped up in these men I agree oh yeah mm. perfect point all right well we ready to toast? I think so. <laughs> okay. okay, let's do it. All right, who would you like to toast this evening? I think tonight I just want to toast. Like, I, I kind of got inspired when you talked about the fact that, like, on the evening news, 
she would have been something anyway. Mm -hmm. And I just, it's to the crowns we all wear. Yeah. Like, without even having them. Yeah. So, cheers. What about you? I am going to toast women who make us think and feel with their art and with what they do and how they live their life. I just feel like high art can feel very out of touch sometimes and something that like, again, like, oh, well, you just don't get it, you know, (laughs) and it can make people feel stupid. And I don't think it was hard to explain on his art, but I think when you see it, you get it, you know, and it's, and you can, it doesn't matter what you're feeling, but like, it makes you feel something. And I think that's the great thing about her work is that like, you know, those fucking squares that Andre put on the ground, they don't make me feel anything, but Anna's does. I mean, she's setting shit on fire. Like <laughs> he's doing really cool things. This is the difference between men and women. Yes. <laughs> They're like, let me show you my blocks. And I just want to toast Anna for making art that I think any could make anyone feel something, whether it's excitement or pain or joy or whatever. Yes. Cheers to her. Feel it. <laughs> oh, all right. What are you enjoying in pop culture this week? Okay. <laughs> I came across this story. Okay. So you know the bean in Chicago? Uh-huh. It's called the Cloud Gate. Oh, is it? Yeah. The artist who the did that, his last name's like Kapoor or something. Apparently, okay, I read this story online and it like changed my life. Apparently, he's a huge dick. That oh, artist really? is an exclusive, <gasps> wow, high class, so on theme. piece of shit, right? <laughs> There's this other artist, this blue collar artist. His last name is Semple. And they have this ongoing like online social media and in real life battle okay. that is happening. Like this guy Kapoor created or no this new color black was created like mm. night black mm-hmm. kapoor bought it and all the rights to it so no other artist oh. could ever have it without him come on so right. you're talking about the black that like you look at it and your eyes get fucked up because it's so dark right so he bought it so everybody would have to go through him <sighs> so then this guy simple created this random shade of hot pink and made it free to all artists, right? And then they, like, all went out and, like, put it on their lips and kissed the bean with it. Like, so they're always fucking with this guy. I and, love that. Like, I encourage you to go and read stories about this. Like, Kapoor is a just huge, elitist, high-class dick that thinks art is reserved for rich yeah. people. And Semple is, like, screwing him passive-aggressively at every turn i love that and i i was reading it was one of those nights where i couldn't sleep and i was like scrolling facebook and i found the story i'll have to send you the link to the article and i was just laughing so hard because it's mostly people's tumblr posts about what semple has done to kapoor so it's just me reading tumblr posts about how funny and backhanded this guy is to like just make him feel terrible like you're a fucking rich asshole arts for everyone I used to love Tumblr so much. I was on it all the time. Now I'm just on Pinterest all the time. Pinterest (laughs) is like cottagecore Tumblr. It's really good. (laughs) Um, I will let everybody know that if you want to purchase or get anything from Semple, any of his glitter, any of his colors, you have to sign a sworn affidavit that you're not Kapoor and you will not (laughs) give it to every artist in the world can have it except for him. It's so fucking funny. I love that. 
What a bitter bitch. <laughs> so also, that guy's an asshole. <laughs> He's a huge asshole. That's so good. I adore it. I want everybody to look up the story. If Make you're from difference. Chicago, I'm sure you know, but like, it's really yeah. funny for the rest of us who didn't know. So good. <laughs> okay, what are you into right now? So... I am going to recommend two kind of things that are wrapped up in one. Okay. So last night, uh-huh. I went Uh-oh. to the Senator Theater. Perfect. For revival movie night. Isn't and it good? we watched Goodfellas. <gasps> On the big screen, Joe Pesci, Robert De Niro. Young little baby. Ray Liotta. It was the best. It is good. So number one, I'm going to recommend Goodfellas because uh-huh. uh, it's such a good movie. <laughs> Number two, if you have theaters by you that do revival nights, go. It is so fun. It is the best. It's low stakes because everyone there has already seen the movie. <laughs> so, like, seeing a movie on a big screen is so different. And it feels nice to be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get up and go to the bathroom because I'm not worried about missing anything because yeah. I've already fucking seen it. Like, it's freeing. It's fun. So if you have theaters near you that do it, check it out because mm. I sometimes forget that they do it. And then I look, I looked at it literally on Sunday and I was like, oh fuck, they're showing Goodfellas. And I texted Paige and I was like, we have to <laughs> it's go. Time. It was the best. So Goodfellas slash, uh, old movies showing at theaters because nothing is better than seeing a classic on the big screen. Of course. I also saw Roman holiday at the Senator and it was so good. I saw the first star Wars there (sighs) with my dad. So good. Casey fell asleep during the new star Wars movie. I was like, this is the loudest movie on the face of the planet. But you can, like, you, it is possible. <laughs> I mean, it's not like the greatest movie on the face of the planet. <laughs> so it is possible to fall asleep. Oh, all right. Well, thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed our highfalutin art talk and all the things in between. Find us everywhere. <laughs> we're on all the social media. You can mm-hmm. find us on Patreon and you'll get an extra little talk with us. I have no idea what we're talking about this week, but we'll find <gasps> out soon. We'll be nice. crazy. Last week we talked about breakfast and it was like an 18 yes. minute conversation. That was long. An extra 18 minutes <laughs> of this nonsense. That's what you could pay $1 for. As little as a dollar. You can enjoy all of that and more. I do have great Thanksgiving stickers I need to send. <gasps> Yay. I just haven't done it. You have a lot <laughs> on your plate right now. I, yeah, I, I will figure this out. I just, yeah. it's, you know, it's envelopes and postage oh and gosh, the whole so thing. <laughs> Uh, and if you wouldn't mind going over to Apple Podcasts, giving us a little rate, a little review, telling us what you think. Uh, hopefully it's nice because I hate mean comments. Yeah, be nice. Uh, that would be great. Um, <laughs> but most of all, we want you to never forget that well-behaved women dust weekly. Yes, they do. And they rarely make history. Goodbye. Goodbye.